Welcome to the Blood Bank Association of New York State podcast. BBA NYS has been dedicated to improving transfusion medicine in New York State since 1951. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of BBA NYS. Hello, my name is Joseph Bordash, and I'm a third-year pathology resident at SUNY Upstate Medical University. Today, I will be presenting a patient case and discussing a topic in blood banking and transfusion medicine relevant to the patient's care. Our patient today is a man in his 70s with a past medical history significant for symptoms of cold agglutinin disease three years ago. He presented with symptomatic anemia with a hemoglobin of 6.9 and a hematocrit of 20.8, and a reticulocytosis of 5.7%. Testing on a blood sample revealed a potent cold agglutinin antibody and no underlying allogeneic antibodies on routine screening. DAT testing showed 1 plus strength reactivity for C3 and no reactivity for IgG. Considering our patient's past medical history and current lab findings, we should discuss what cold sensitive antibodies and cold agglutinin disease are. Cold-sensitive antibodies can be classified into three categories, cryoglobulins, Donna-Flansteiner antibodies, and cold agglutinins. Cryoglobulins usually do not interact with red blood cells and can cause systemic vasculitis, systemic inflammatory syndrome, or vascular occlusion. Donna-Flansteiner antibodies are usually IgG, fixed complement, and can cause paroxysmal cold hemoglobinuria an intravascular hemolysis with symptoms associated with hemoglobinemia and hemoglobinuria. Most often, they are against the P antigen on RBCs. Finally, cold agglutinins are usually IgM with kappa light chains, most often against big I or little i antigen expressed on red blood cells. Cold agglutinin disease can be classified as either primary or secondary depending on the underlying cause. Secondary cold agglutinin disease is more common, especially in pediatric patients, is usually self-limited and arises in the setting of another disease process, such as lymphoid malignancies, autoimmune disorders, and infections, especially mycoplasma pneumoniae and Epstein-Barr virus. In the case of infectious etiology, clinically significant hemolysis usually occurs two to four weeks after infection onset and can last two to three months after infection resolution. Primary cold agglutinin disease, on the other hand, arises independently of other disease processes and requires treatment for symptom remission. It is thought to arise from a low-grade lymphoproliferative disorder, and 5-10% to 10 of patients with chronic cold agglutinin disease may pro have progression to a B-cell malignancy. While most often cold agglutinins are monoclonal, the clonality depends on the underlying etiology. Regarding epidemiology, cold agglutinin disease comprises 20 to 25% of autoimmune hemolytic anemia cases. It is more common in colder climates and has a slight female pre prevalence. The average age for diagnosis is in the late 60s and early 70s, as seen in our patient. It, cause an, it causes an extravascular hemolysis mediated by complement. Clinical symptoms consist of anemia and cold-induced symptoms, including acrocyanosis, libido reticularis, Raynaud phenomenon, cutaneous ulceration or necrosis, and pain or discomfort with swallowing cold food or drink. 
In addition to clinical symptoms, certain diagnostic testing results can aid in the diagnosis. Ongoing chronic hemolysis will be reflected in decreased hemoglobin and hematocrit levels, elevated LDH and bilirubin, decreased haptoglobin, and increased reticulocyte counts. Spherocytes can potentially be identified on peripheral blood smear. A DAT should be positive for C3B and is usually negative for immunoglobulin. C3 and C4 levels will be decreased. Further workup includes determining the titer and thermal amplitude of the agglutinin. Cold agglutinin disease can be treated by addressing the underlying etiology if it is known. Management of mild cases include avoidance of cold temperatures. In cases with severe hemolysis, blood transfusion, plasmapheresis, cryofiltration, apheresis, or IVIG may be indicated. The treatment of primary cold agglutinin disease aims to prevent antibody formation by pathogenic B cells and includes rituximab by itself or in combination with bendamustine, fludarabine, or interferon alpha. Bertizomib or ibrutinib are options for patients for whom rituximab regimens are ineffective. In the case of our patient, management included red blood cell transfusion to address his symptomatic anemia. Workup of potential causes for his cold agglutinin disease failed to identify a secondary cause, which in combination with the chronicity of his cold agglutinin disease suggests that this patient has a primary cold agglutinin disease. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you join us for future BBA NYS podcasts and events. Future events can be found on our website, www.bbanys.org.